Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Rhiannon, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Rhiannon. I am an assistant professor, and I teach and do research in the area of communication. Uh, most recently, my research and teaching focuses on social media uh, in the strategic sense and in the interpersonal sense. Do you think it's positive or negative? So I always kind of lead with this, that there's a light side and a dark side that social media are not inherently good nor bad. Um, we can use them for great things like finding out information or um, talking about things that might be a little bit difficult to talk about in person. But there's also that dark side. Um, we can experience misinformation, trolls, loss of self-esteem, all of that. So I see it as a double-edged sword. It's uh, I have ADHD, so I tend to be kind of like posting ghost on my social media because it gives me too much like input ra rather than like output. I don't feel like is maxing out, I guess, or evening with the input. So I just cut it off because it's just like there's an addictive part to it as well, too, with followers and so much information all at your fingertips, basically. But you wrote about Tinder, and that's what I wanted to talk about because it is something in my age range. I'm 25, but a lot of my friends are on Tinder, and they use these, this app constantly, and I never really thought of it as an actual thing to connect with people. Social media is a great way to connect with people, but dating apps, I'm like, it's maybe for to meet someone or like, yeah, we'll schedule a hangout or something, but I'm curious where your research or how you even got interested in talking about Tinder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess I'll kind of back it up to the very beginning. I got interested in interpersonal relationships and interpersonal research in general when I was an undergraduate. And I learned about a theory in a general communication class and it was uncertainty reduction theory. So it kind of explains these initial encounters we have with people and how we seek to get answers. So we want to look at their profile and look at their pictures and make inferences based on that ask questions and learn about them and things like that. And I found that to be really applicable in my own friendships and relationships and things like that. So I thought, oh, what is this area? Um, I didn't even know you could study interpersonal communication. So once I discovered that, I decided that I was going to go on to graduate school and learn about this in a deeper sense. And that's where I really got interested in the social media aspect of it. So my master's thesis was looking at jealousy evoking scenarios on Facebook. So this was back in 2009, 2010. So Facebook was very widely used. I mean, it still is today, but before Tinder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to see how um, things that happen on Facebook, communication that happened on Facebook led to um, jealousy in relationships and how people communicated those feelings. So that kind of put me on the track of being interested in social media and apps and the communication over apps and things like that. But jumping to Tinder, I started this research whenever I was getting my PhD and I was looking at um, dissertation topics. And I was just kind of chatting with some of my uh, cohort members in my PhD program. And a lot of them were on Tinder. 
And so I was very interested in learning about how it worked just from a very informal sense. And so I started looking at how they were swiping. And when they would ask me for advice, like, what should I say back to this person? And so I was very intrigued by these location-based dating apps. And so I wanted to look at how our communication has changed based on these apps. So there's a classic model that was developed in 1978 that looks at the escalation and the de-escalation of relationships. But of course, that doesn't take into account those pre-interaction phases that happen on things like Tinder. So creating the profile, matching with someone before you can even speak with them, um, uh, messaging them back, and then finally meeting in person if you do that. So that's kind of where it all started with my interest in Tinder. Do you think it's a dating app? I mean, at this point now, it just seems like more like a, you know, it gets lumped into like hookup apps and they're separate hookup apps. But I mean, you're looking at a picture and that's usually first impression. And then you're either swiping right or you're swiping left. Nobody, I mean, unless you're like, eh, maybe you kind of tap a couple of times to look through some of the photos, but how do you explain yourself in a picture? Right, right. It is very visual. And that's, of course, connected to a lot of the self-esteem issues. Um, it is appearance-based. And we know that a lot of people just kind of rapid fire swipe and then see who comes back, right? Like, I'm going to swipe on everyone and see what kind of matches I get. So back to your original question of, you know, is this really a dating app? That was part of my research that I looked at, you know, what, what are people calling this? Is it a dating app? Is it a hookup app? Is it, what, what is it? And so when I asked people, you know, what are your motivations for using something like Tinder? Some of them said connections, and that could include friendships, dating, hookups, short relationships, long-term relationships. So a wide variety of use. But then also people said, well, I'm just motivated to download it because it's entertaining. Like I sit there with my friends and I'm entertained by it. So wide range of uses for this app. What, what in your opinion, I guess would be the top one of those usages? Would it be for actual connections? Because for me, I don't know, maybe it's because my age range. I mean, you're in your 20s too, aren't you? Around my age? 30s. Okay. Um, you look great. Fantastic. Uh, but when you're, when I'm using the app, it just kind of look at like, I'll come across people I know, but I think everyone kind of uses that. Like if they're already in a relationship and they break up, then they go to that app and then they end up deleting it later. And that's what people even put in their bios now. But I've noticed that the app has gotten more complex since when it first came out. Like it's now understood that yes, it is also used as a hookup app and it is also used as social hanging out with friends. They've added categories now where it's like, just want to go grab drinks tonight. And that's like a friendship thing or just want to hang out or someone cool to meet. And it's like, what is going on with this app? It's like evolved, kind of like how Facebook kind of did. Like then they started doing dating and I was like, hang on. Hang on. This is my grandparents hang out here. We're not doing dating on Facebook. <laughs> Agreed. These apps morph. I think they all do. Um, if I think back to when Facebook first started, it was only college students and I was in college when it was developed. And so I remember it being very different in terms of what you would post. So I think that all apps kind of morph and shift and try and keep up with the times and, and the demographics that are on them and things like that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're seeing that with these 
dating, hookup apps, things like that. I do think that most people use it for connections, um, but there were still people who said, hey, I'm in a relationship. I'm not looking for someone else, but this app is entertaining to me. I want to look at who's on it. I want to joke around and message people. So you you get that, but I think it's a much smaller percentage. I think they still use it mainly for some type of connection, whether it's let's go grab coffee or I want to see if we can form a long-term relationship. You think that it damages like actual like relationship style building like with apps or with any other dating sites? Like do you think it's actually done more of a hurt? to maybe the age range or generations that might be using it. Cause I see a bunch of stuff now, like people can just be like, I'm in an open relationship with my husband, which I mean, if that's their life, go ahead. But it's just, I'm coming across a lot of things that I don't know, strike me as a little bit as like, is this supposed to be on the Tinder app? I didn't think that there was this on this app. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I think people just make what they want of it. You know, like um, if they want to be on that app and they're in a relationship, they're still going to do it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of gatekeeping in terms of, all right, let's keep this app for this particular purpose for, you know, only finding long-term relationships or, or things like that. Now, I think some of the other apps have really tried to differentiate themselves and some of the dating sites, you know, trying to say that they are more... Um, for people who want to find that long-term relationship, you know, I think of things like Hinge, um, but it seems like Tinder is still this hodgepodge where there's all types of people, there's all types of relationships that people are seeking, you know, things like that. So it can be damaging for someone who goes on it and thinks, I'm here for a long-term relationship to try and find a partner isn't everyone else here for that reason? So if people aren't on the same page, it can be really frustrating to deal with people on the other end who are only there for entertainment or who aren't looking for a relationship or things like that. I've heard a lot of stories like that from people that I've interviewed. So that's why I mentioned that. Wait, wait. So you interview people to study for the study of studying Tinder? Yes, that's correct. So So more positive experiences or more negative experiences? um, I definitely saw both. Um, There were a lot of people who said, I just couldn't make a connection. And it was really frustrating. Uh, People who said that they received messages from bots, they were pretty sure they were bots. (laughs) And so they thought, wow, no real person has connected with me, has matched with me on this app. And that really put them down in the dumps, decreased their self-esteem, gave them a blow to the ego, you know, things like that. But On the other hand, I've talked to people who said I got a a boost in my self-esteem. I found a partner there. It was a good experience. So it seems like there's always a little bit of both. Did the mood booster one or the, um, yeah, I forgot, I'm now going to blank on the term of it, but the ego kind of stroke a little bit when it comes to like getting a good swipe or something like that. Is that a, would that be a negative quality to it? Like, is that good that people are going there for like a good confidence boost? I feel like that's a helpful thing. Cause like I said, I like to swipe on some certain people that give them like a confidence boost. Cause I know it'll help in the long run, someone's self-esteem, but also people go, well, that's like fishing. And I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily fishing, but I mean, it could be seen as being a troll. Cause if I don't expect to match with that person or, you know, I know I don't match with that person based on looks or something, but hey, they could have a friendly personality. I had someone randomly ask me, like, are you wearing sweatpants? I was like, excuse me? That's such a bold first question to ask somebody when you match. But hey, they made the first move. 
<laughs> that that's so funny because <laughs> I've heard so many crazy opening lines. Like I've had people say like I've received the most crazy opening lines. So when you mentioned the sweatpants uh, comment, that just kind of triggered things where you know just crazy crazy opening lines to try and you know hope that someone responds. <laughs> but in terms of uh, your initial comment about, you know, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Most people receiving the boost say, oh yeah, it's a good thing. Um, I, I had a, a large number of heterosexual women who say they got a lot of matches. They got a lot of swipes. They got a lot of compliments and that really gave them a confidence boost. Now, when I talk to men, heterosexual men were saying that, you know, they didn't get as many matches. Um, women have more control when it comes to Tinder. Women get more messages, more matches, more compliments, and they're kind of struggling to break through. So for them, a lot of what they told me was that they're frustrated that so many heterosexual women use it for a confidence boost um, because they thought that that's kind of all they were doing was collecting matches and collecting compliments, feeling good, and then leaving the app. And that was frustrating to a lot of people. Who do you think uses the app more, men or women? Um, in terms of actual time on the app, I'm not sure about that, um, but when I talked to people, it seemed that in terms of success, women were having more success, um, heterosexual women. Now, was it that they were spending more time on the app? That I'm not sure of, so I can't make a connection between that. I would think that women would be less likely to disclose that they have the app Tinder, and men are more likely, because I don't see it as a problem like I openly We'll just post something of like a picture I put up of like, hey, look at my calf. I said I can run anywhere with these, not just my problems. Just something funny or I'll put up like my face and say I have hollow knees, which makes me aerodynamic when I fight. That can be seen as trolling. I just consider it funny. It explains my personality in a good way. But a lot of people go like, oh, you're you're on Tinder? It's just like – are you like secretly hiding that you're on? Everyone I think has downloaded it at some point and used it, but I just feel like men are more open to disclosing that they're on it for some reason. I think so. I think there's still this stigma because it has been associated with hookups. I think there's still a stigma that a lot of men can go and hook up with people and that's okay. And that's applauded uh, many times, but for women, they're called names if they do that. So I think there's still this barrier of people not wanting to be open um, or people putting directly on their profile, not here for a hookup. Uh, so I think there's still a stigma in society that maybe women don't feel as comfortable talking about being on an app that's associated with hookups, even if that's not what they're looking for, or even if it is, you know, I feel like there's still shame associated with that and gender roles. Out of um, the people you interviewed, did any of them feel like they didn't want – if they ever met someone from like one of these sites or any of these apps that they wouldn't disclose that that's where they met? I've had a couple people like even in their Tinder bios say something like, I will not disclose that we met through this app if we do end up becoming like whatever. And I'm like, why is there like – it's it's the whole platform now for social media, especially my generation, younger generations. It's all going to be through the digital world. It's like you rarely get to actually meet an encounter in person where you guys go, oh, we hit it off, and then it was this. Everything's done through the phone, especially after the pandemic. Everything just changed. Less people were 
I guess, less likely to go out and party. I know there was a big ramp up in the first couple months after everything opened back up, but a lot of people just go, I just want a chill weekend at the house. Maybe that's my age range, but I just, I start noticing that more and I go, that means everything's going to be through social media. It's going to be through Facebook. It's going to be through Instagram. Oh, she followed me back. I followed her back. And it's like, there's this weird uh, relationship tango that goes on now. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I think that the stigma in terms of I met on Instagram or we met on Tinder, you know, things like that. Um, I think that's declining because I agree with you. It's more and more common for people to meet and, and of different generations and of different age ranges because we have so many niche dating sites and apps, you know, there's ones for older people, there's ones for certain religions, there's the general ones like Tinder, there's, you know, women messaging first, Bumble, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot now. And, you know, I agree, I just casually talking to people, and they're telling me, like, it's really hard to meet people, where do I meet people if I'm not in college, or if there's no one at my job, or, you know, things like that. Um, and if they don't want to go to a bar to meet someone, you know, where do they meet in person? So I think that it will kind of continue to be destigmatized, hopefully. But I know there's still a large number of people who probably will not share, you know, hey, I met my partner on Tinder, just because of its association. Now, did any of the people you interviewed had interactions with what some of these trolls are? And could you give me an example if there is anybody that came across a troll? Like what would be trolling on the app? Because if I'm doing it, I might want to stop because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I'm also just changing my profile. So if they swipe on me, that they have to find me, I guess. Because it's like $24.99 a week for Tinder Gold. And I'm like, that's like, is it, it's a marketing thing now. At this point, it's like how many people are paying for, I think, super likes, three of them is $15. And then you can pay for six months of Tinder Gold is seven fifty a week, and I'm like, you're making people go bankrupt just to find out if they are liked by somebody. <laughs> it's definitely a money maker. There's a lot of people on the app now, <laughs> for sure. Um, but in terms of the trolling, I hear that term less associated with dating apps. I hear more people talk about being ghosted and that being their issue when using the dating apps as opposed to being trolled. Now, in terms of actual communication, um, what I would hear is, you know, uh, maybe some inappropriate messages that, you know, again, especially heterosexual women were receiving that made them feel uncomfortable. They didn't describe it as trolling. They just described it as like, hey, this was inappropriate or, you know, um, I'm sure you can imagine what some of the messages were. Um, but more so, I heard about the frustrations of ghosting. You know, we had this conversation, they completely left or we had a first date, never heard from them again. Those were the biggest complaints. Do you think that's just because they might have found somebody that might have been better looking or something like that in their eyes that caused them to go and be like, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. I'm going to talk to this person. Yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest reason there's so many options on that app. So they see someone else, they meet someone else, they might be meeting multiple people in the same day in the same week, and just kind of, you know, trying things out. And a lot of people said, well, I don't have to give them a reason, because we only went on one date, or I only met them once. And so they felt as though ghosting would kind of be an easier out, as opposed to explaining, hey, I didn't have a connection with you, or I'm not attracted to you in person, you know, they didn't want to go through that. And they thought that it 
might actually be less of a blow to someone's self-esteem if they just left without reason. Um, but on the other end of things, then some people were left wondering, well, what did I do wrong? You know, I thought we had a good connection. Um, I thought I looked great on that date. You know, I thought we were going to continue. And so then it sometimes can leave that person just kind of going through their head and, and wondering, and that can lead to a decrease in self-esteem too. Increase in anxiety and increase in depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you come across anybody that might have came from someone from high school might have saw someone from I closed down the app immediately I don't even I just nope shut it off reset it do whatever you got to do I because I don't want to swipe left or right I don't know it's just difficult I feel like if you swipe left they know they know 100 <laughs> percent they feel like you've seen me and and you didn't match with me <laughs> probably although there's so many people on on the app so I don't know <laughs> not sure about that one uh, from one thing you learned through your research, what's one thing that I guess stuck with you that was like a major takeaway from just the whole Tinder research? And then what's one thing that you might still have questions on? Yeah. So when I was doing that research, I was mainly looking to create a new model of how all of this works. So how do people form connections? What's What's the model look like now? That was my main goal was to propose a new model that took into account profile creation, um, matching, messaging, all of that before the actual escalation stages of a, of a relationship. But what I found was that so many people were talking about the self-esteem issues. I wasn't even specifically asking about it. And it turned into a whole paper because... I was being told that, you know, they were not confident to swipe, even swipe on someone because they thought that they were better looking than them, or they felt down in the dumps because they only got a couple matches and they didn't like what the person looked like or things like that. So that was one of the things that I actually was surprised about because I wasn't looking for it. That's the cool part about doing research though, especially qualitative research where you're doing interviews or focus groups and things just kind of emerge and, and you kind of go in one direction that relates to your general research questions, but maybe it's something that you weren't expecting, but you learned from the participants, which was really valuable information. Um, so I, I love that I learned that. I still have a ton of questions. So in terms of, you know, what am I looking for next? What do I still have questions about? Um, I'd love to come back and do more research on romantic jealousy um, and how, you know, all these apps and how we've, we've gotten probably more social media onto our phones than even, you know, back when I did research as a master's student. How is that impacting relationships? So I'd love to learn more about jealousy um, uh, that could tie into Tinder, that could tie into even something like TikTok, you know, is that causing more jealous um, scenarios for couples to go through? Um, I it applies also more pressure to making a relationship TikTok, that's for sure. Oh, true, right? To have that couple account or something, right? Um, I'm also really questioning the mental health aspect. So I haven't dabbled into that research too much, but some of my colleagues are in the area of health communication. And so we've partnered up. They're experts on health communication. My area is social media. So we're looking at, you know, how does it affect mental health? Um, what types of mental health messages do people remember seeing on social media? So that's kind of another area that I have questions about. 
Um, as a researcher, you kind of have endless questions. So I'll probably be questioning things until, you know, I'm at the end of my career and and then some. That's what the Tinder stuff, the, the mental health stuff gets me. It's because like, I feel like it does more damage because there's, I mean, if you don't get a lot of matches, that sucks, but that person's experiencing, maybe I am like, I, I put up my best photos and you're telling me that nobody likes what they see. And then also if you're getting swipes all the time and you're getting constantly matches, then at that point, you just don't care about them at all. Like you lose all interest in wanting to be on the app or you just like all the attention that you're getting. And then you might get upset if someone doesn't swipe on you and you don't get that match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so there's a lot of research on that. Um, and not only on things like Tinder, but things like Instagram, there's such a numbers game. And we can kind of see how some of these apps are trying to address the issues, such as um, when Instagram gave you the option of um, the, the number of likes, showing the number of likes. So we can either see that you got 30 likes on this picture, or it can say so-and-so and others liked this picture to try and keep the focus off of, you know, I need so many likes to feel good about myself or to feel good about my picture. So we do see some of the developers of these apps trying to address these issues of self-esteem, especially with young people um, and, you know, what types of ads are targeting them and things like that. So I think that's just a huge area that we need to continue to focus on. Are these ads really social ads or not ads um, apps, really social apps anymore? Or are they more like marketing tools? I feel like everything now is like a pay to play system where you have to obviously put a lot of money in to really get what you're, I guess, maybe the app was originally tended for Tinder, for instance, didn't have apps in the beginning. You could buy likes and stuff, but it was like 99 cents. Um, for like super likes or something like that. Now it's like $20. It's like a good, a, ch a good chunk of change. And I kind of go like with Instagram. I mean, a lot of it's marketing stuff. And then even the algorithms change it up so much where I can't scroll for like a minute without five different advertisements or someone selling a t-shirt or a product where I'm like, where's my friend's photo of like a sunrise or just a plate of food. Remember those days? Oh, those are the good days. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you articulated that very accurately that, yeah, we're calling this social media, but the social aspect is starting to really, really, really fade with so many of these apps. Um, and, you know, earlier we talked about how apps kind of transform and, and stay with the times, but yeah, it's all, it's, it's all about the ads, the sponsored posts. Um, you know, I have my students tell me, you know, they love TikTok, but it seems like they swipe um, maybe two videos and then there's an ad and then a couple and then there's an ad again. And so, you know, what's happening to these connections and the good old days of Facebook only being for, you know, college students to connect. And so you really only had the people you knew there to connect with versus now it's totally changed. Instagram has changed. You know, is there an app that, that purely allows us to connect with people we know? in real life, as we say. <laughs> There's, um, I think even with Tinder, the only spot where ads are good is because if you're really mindlessly swiping right and left and you're just kind of going through it as fast as you possibly can, an ad will pop up. And if you're just swiping right to swipe right, you'll go swipe right on the ad and it'll take you out of the app and bring up that ad. 
So then you have to close it down and go back in there. And then you kind of are a little bit careful. Then you get start getting risky again after like a minute of swiping. Like, I, I could speed this process up. But I've noticed that. Like, I have my buddy. He's like, yeah, every time you get like an ad, you just got to make sure when you're swiping, you kind of hold your thumb a little bit longer. Like, why are you trying to teach tricks to like try and find a relationship, man? He goes, oh, these aren't what these apps are for. I'm just like, okay, well, what you have like 30 downloaded on your phone. So I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> right, right. And, and I mean, that is what happens. People try and, you know, use it to their advantage, whatever that is, try and make it the most timely. And yeah, I mean, your your friend isn't alone in the in the rapid swiping. I've I've heard that a lot, you know, that shotgun approach. And then, you know, we'll we'll see who comes back on the app and who matches with me and things like that. Yeah. What was the age range of the people that you interviewed? So off the top of my head, I want to say it was somewhere from 18 to about 40 or 41 for that particular study. Do you find that, did you have more of the people closer to their 40s? Because I come across that and I don't think it's, my preferences are like 20 to 30, I think, but I'm coming across a lot of like people that have kids or something like with two kids and want more and they're like 40 years old and I'm just like... I don't think that's for me, but you know, good on you. And I just think there are people that got out of like a long-term relationship that ended up re-downloading the app. Cause like that, apparently uh, people put that in their bios. Like I'll probably have to re-download this again. And I'm like, well, how many times do you, I delete it once and it's gone forever. I download dragon city or something. <laughs> I've heard a lot of that. People have the app, then they get frustrated or they found someone and then they delete it. Um, but if they get frustrated, sometimes they'll delete it, bring it back, delete it, take a break bring it back. So things like that. Um, but in terms of the age range, I saw that a lot of the younger people that I had interviewed, and a lot of them were in college, they were kind of just using the app for fun, for entertainment, whereas a lot of the older people that I had interviewed um, more towards the, you know, mid 30s, up to 40, they were a lot more serious. They wanted to find a relationship from it. They wanted something long term. Um, they would get frustrated if they weren't getting a good return on their investment and things like that. So I would say that was maybe the biggest differentiation I could see in terms of the age group that I interviewed. Did you ask anybody if they happened to make a profile picture that actually looked like them or did people try and, cause I got, I look like Tom Holland, I'll admit to it, but you know, I'm not, but I could put up a photo of Tom Holland, but they add the verified check where you do the, and I start noticing people don't have the check mark. And I'm like, is it just because you have like a, certain angle or certain makeup on that you didn't want to i'm just like i feel like the verified thing is the first thing i notice when i'm looking at a photo it's like are they real or not because i don't feel like dealing with a bot trying to get my credit card info <laughs> exactly exactly so the veracity is a big question what i saw was a lot of third person effects so people were saying that well i don't I look like my picture. I don't really doctor it up, but other people do. But then when you would actually start to talk to them, Legal you'd realize, <laughs> yeah, you'd realize, no, you're doctoring your picture a little too. Like I would have people say, well, I, I took it from a certain angle where I look a lot taller. Um, I've heard from a lot of men that they are frustrated because a lot of heterosexual women will put I only want someone who's six foot tall um, or more. And so th then they're, they're worried about that. And so they're like, well, right. I mean, I can't believe this stuff, right? Like, I'm happy when I come across short King, I was like, oh, look, I'm five, nine. This is fantastic. <laughs>
but but you know it's it's people focus so much on like well I want this height I want this you know but people don't know what they want right um so I would have people say you know well I, I feel so much pressure with that I have to be a certain height otherwise people don't even include me in their search so I'm going to take a picture at an angle that makes me look taller or I used a picture from years ago that doesn't exactly look like me but I like it better so um one of our master's students actually was looking at catfishing and kitten fishing so I saw kitten fishing a little bit more, which was where you make some small changes, like maybe it's an angle, you know, things like that. You're not a complete catfish, but the term <laughs> has kind of come to be known as kitten fishing. I've never heard of that, but I mean, to me, that lumps in the same category as catfishing. I just think when you have an app and especially how detailed it is now, like Tinder, is it not only your height, not only like weight, not whatever you want to put, but personality type and i was looking at it and i was like did the app have a stroke like what's i j s t i don't know what any of these words mean so i just left that blank and then it goes down to like obviously your birthday people like the astrology stuff apparently there's tricks where it's like if you put your astrology sign in there you get more swipes or something like that and i'm like i don't have the time i can pick a song and i can tell you what i like and that's it but there's like a whole category listing and unvaccinated and vaccinated where I'm like, that seems like some private medical stuff that you probably wouldn't want entering the conversation, but I get it safety. So they put that in there as well too. But then I come across it's even some political stuff on there as well. Like someone puts it in their bio, like hardcore conservative. I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Why are you telling people that on a swipe? But I don't know. People feel like they have to disclose as either much detail as possible or as little detail as possible. Yeah, and I think sometimes that route of as much detail as possible, they're trying to really find their match, but I think we're forgetting that sometimes things just happen organically, and you might fall for someone who maybe isn't exactly your political view, that maybe isn't the hair color that you thought you wanted, or the height and things like that, but it just happens. So sometimes I think the people filter the heck out of things. And they're probably missing out on some good connections that they could have potentially, but that's the game that seems to be played on, on dating apps. So did you contact maybe the app developers of Tinder and just try and get their input or get maybe some questions that you had specifically for them? No, but that's always a goal. So when we do research, it usually goes to academic journals. So that's kind of the first place is we want to get it published so that we can add to the knowledge of our literature, um, of our discipline. But the next step and the step that I think is so important is to get it out to two avenues, the people who can actually use the information. So talking about it in the popular press, in radio interviews, in podcasts, you know, things like that. Um, but then also getting it into the hands of app developers and showing them like, hey, this is a problem. Maybe this is something that you might want to look at, right? Um, but when we're talking about such big companies, you know, at, at this point in my career, I don't even know how to go about that and to be seen in terms of, hey, look at this research, you know, maybe consider that. But that's certainly something for the future that I would hope that could spark a change through all of the research that we do. Did any of the people that you interviewed, did they have concerns about their safety? 
I have some concerns. I mean, I'm a guy, but I have concerns about my safety on some of these things. When you get a message that's kind of aggressive, not are you wearing sweatpants, but something like, hey, you're cute or just something that's like it's a whole paragraph or something where I'm like, yeah, um, I'm good. You know, like, hey, we're close by. You want to meet at this bar at this time? I'm like, hello, it's uh, nice to meet you, but uh, no, thanks. No, I'm good. Yes, yes. And some of the stories that I heard, I got so concerned when I was listening to them. Now, obviously, these happened in the past. But even just hearing people talk about these scary situations that they were in, and especially the younger people that I was interviewing, like 19, 20 years old, and they're having someone message them saying like to meet them in a parking lot and things like that. And yeah, they were really concerned. And then I felt concerned for them and was just hoping for the best in terms of where their story was going to go that they were telling me. So yeah, there were some safety concerns for sure. What about age lying? Oh, age, age lying. Yeah. Like I, there was a person that had put 17 or 18 on their thing and that in the bio said actually 13. And I was like, yeah, that's um no, that's like that's gonna be a no. I actually actually delete the app now. That's a little bit difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't hear too much about that in those in those interviews, but I know even with casual conversations, you know, people will tell me, um, oh yeah, I had to be this old to make an Instagram. I wasn't old enough yet, so you know, I just went ahead and lied about my birthday. You know, I, I hear that from a lot of younger people uh, because they weren't old enough. You know, when Instagram came out and things like that. So I'm sure that it happens all the time. That would definitely be a concern. You know, who actually is on the other end, and what means am I going to take to verify? Am I going to ask to face? time them? Am I going to try and look up their other accounts, like their other social media accounts? You know, am I going to type them into a search engine? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you have to go through so many verification processes before you would maybe feel safe meeting somewhere. Yeah, through all the I mean, just from probably when Facebook was at its peak, to where we're at now, I mean, what's the top social app in your mind? When like first thing you come to, like, I would think for me, it would be Instagram because probably the one I use the most. It's where a lot of my friends are on. But also I know some people that toss out like an app I've never even heard of. WhatsApp, WhatsApp gets tossed out, whatever the name of the app is called, is tossed out amongst plenty of my friends that are from like either J1 students that come over here or something, somebody from another country. They always mention that app, but that's like the one that you're warned about over here not to use because it's so sensitive information that goes through. Yeah, I hear a lot of people talk about WhatsApp too, and and you're right. It's it's more so if you're communicating with people, um, maybe they're in a different country or things like that. So I hear a little bit about that. Um, I don't have that app. I don't use that one. But I think of you know some of the big players like Facebook. I still think that's you know everyone still seems to be on Facebook, even if they have gripes about it. Um, I, I use it for birthdays. Birthdays. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way we know people's birthdays, right? (laughs) So yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, LinkedIn, those are the ones that come to mind as kind of like the big players in social media. Now, do you think with uh, Twitter, now that one, what are your thoughts on that one? Because that one right now is getting a lot of crap because Elon bought it. And I don't, like I said, I post in Ghost, so I'm rarely on, I guess, not enough to see all the stuff that goes on on some of these platforms. 
But I, from many people I've talked to that study like social media or something, they always mention either different perspectives, obviously, on Tinder, some or not Tinder, Twitter. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, personally, I really don't use Twitter. Um, I never really got on the Twitter train. I tried to, but it's just not for me in terms of consuming content there or creating content for Twitter. And um, it's go it's been going through a lot recently in terms of the changes, the blue checks, you know, all, all of this. So it's a goodness, it's even hard to keep up with. Um, and when you study social media, when you teach it, when you research it, sometimes when you're just on personal time, you don't want your personal time to even be consumed by stuff like that. So I personally like to use apps where I can see a little bit more of my friends like Instagram, Snapchat, things like that. So I'm not a big fan of Twitter, but not for any particular um, reason. Just it doesn't suit my needs as much as other apps. Do you still see a lot of activity on Facebook? I don't, I, I usually just think about it for Old, I wouldn't say older people, but like my grandparents are mostly on it. When I go on there, I see a post about that. And then people I've met through like the podcast that I'm friends with on there that are like JFK people, they're older. So they're on Facebook and that's where I'll come across their work and I'll see a book or something get published on there. Usually people are just promoting stuff, but I don't know, like I'm friends, the people I'm friends with on Facebook, I'm friends with, like I know personally. So it's not like how it would be on Tinder or not Tinder. God. Twitter and Tinder, that's going to be a problem for me. But Twitter, there's just random people that follow you and you know they can you can follow them back and you don't really have to know who they are, which that disconnect for me is what kind of I don't like being on the app for that reason. I prefer the connection aspect. Like at least I know you. I could joke with you. I could send you a message and I could wish you happy birthday. But on, on Twitter, you can't do that. Right, right. I agree with that. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I grew up with Facebook in college. And so I had so many of my actual connections on Facebook, and many of them haven't migrated to other apps, or we haven't found each other on those other apps. So I know the most people in person on Facebook. So I have the most real life connections on Facebook. So I do see a lot of activity there with family, friends, people from high school, people from college, things like that. Now we talk about, so are you on Instagram at all? Like, aren't those two bought by the same with like Facebook and Instagram? Yeah. Meta. Mm -hmm. So that verified stuff that goes through both of them. It, do you consider that like in your personal perspective, do you consider that right with the whole checkmark thing? I consider that like a big tease in a way, because I feel like a lot of people like I have a couple buddies that bought the blue checkmark and like I'm verified. I'm like, what does that mean, though? Like, I know I'm me. Like, it's my it's me. This is who I am. But it's that verified thing that makes it so appealing. Like somehow you're got like professional status or you got something about you that's different. When I heard about the the blue check marks and people who aren't celebrities or influencers, so to speak, having access to that. My connection that I made with it is so many of us are seeking fame on social media. And so that blue check mark can give us a little boost. Like, oh, look, I'm official. I My account looks better, you know, things like that. Because I think a lot of people use it to try and, you know, get their 15 minutes of fame, get their one viral video, things like that. So that was kind of where my mind went in terms of, you know, why might people buy a verification, a blue check mark, you know, things like that. Well, what you mentioned about like 
raising awareness or at least talking about the whole situation and getting educating maybe people that might be interested or might affect them. I think that's really important because you are now enter or we are in, but it's going to get even worse with the expansion of technology to the point where younger generations that are only going to know this, like my little cousin, who's like, I think 13, this is all he knows is all these apps and all these things that he goes on. So it's like, that wasn't like that when I was a kid. I mean, I'm not that old, but it, it wasn't like that. Like maybe five, 10 years ago, there wasn't that many. There was Vine and there was like a bunch of like small scale stuff. But I mean, do you think it's going to get like to a critical point with social media? Like it's coming dangerous in a sense, or do you think that it's working itself out a little bit? I've noticed that there's been changes to kind of help people out, much like how Pokemon Go. They're like, hey, don't use us while you're driving. That was great. Thank you. But now I'm seeing apps do things as well. Like, hey, don't ever, nobody will ever ask this from you. Nobody will ever do this for you, which I think is really important because we do have to look at how many kids have cell phones and how many kids are on apps that they might have lied about their age to be able to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both. I think that we're going to try and continue to make these apps better, safer, more user-friendly, things like that. But things are always going to happen. People are going to find ways around it. You know, if they get blocked because they're trolling or if their account gets shut down, maybe they're going to use a different email address and create another account. Um, so I see a little bit of both, but completely agree the education, the social media literacy needs to be at the forefront. So I love that I get the opportunity to talk about this, whether it's, you know, doing discussions like this or talking about it in my classes. Um, you know, it prompts a lot of awareness in them and then they'll share that information. Um, and I learn from them too. And they'll say, hey, have you learned about this new app or whatnot? So that's what I love about being in this field. So I hope that we can continue that and do more education at a younger age. Um, you know, I don't know what type of social media literacy they would be teaching, you know, um, I don't know, middle school, high school students. You know, I'm not really sure about that, but I think things like that are very important to start at a younger age to start them being more literate about what's going on, you know, safety issues and things like that. I think we can do a lot of good work in that area. I think social media literacy, I mean, are they teaching that at young ages? I wasn't taught that. And I noticed it with some of my friends. Like I recently on Facebook, someone was posting a fight that they're having with someone and posting up text messages and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's social hygiene. And you might want to clean that up a little bit because in the moment, it seems like I'm going to put this person on blast, which is a saying that kids do my age. But there's a, it's just, it's not going to look good when it comes back in your memories from like, I had a, just recently I had a memory pop up from like 14 years ago. It's my very first profile picture for uh, Facebook. I looked at, it, I was like, oh God, I got to find that thing and delete it. Cause I do not look good at all. But you know, it's those types of things where I go, I don't know. I feel like the, the wall of communication where you go like, this is an app where you can post maybe photos with family or you can post like happy birthday or you can post something like this has become like, I'm going to tell everybody what I'm thinking every single moment of the day or just something that's going on that could be very private. And you might want to keep private as well too. Like the barrier has gone. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I see a lot of stream of consciousness or I agreed a lot of very personal information. Um, so that is concerning. Um, but yeah, of course with, with your generation in mind, I, we didn't learn about this. It wasn't something that was 
big, like I said, Facebook didn't even come to be until I was in college. You know, we had MySpace before that. We had some, you know, instant messenger types of outlets. But, um, you know, now with it being so rampant, I wonder, you know, not, I'm, I'm not sure, but I just, I wonder, you know, what they might be doing in schools now um, to kind of talk about that. So I'd be interested to learn more about that. Do you have any regret for ever downloading one of these apps? I can say regret because especially in my field, I feel like I have to try out a lot of the apps, even if I don't like them, even if I don't use them. Um, if I'm going to talk about them in class, I want to be at least educated on, you know, looking at the interface myself and things like that. So I wouldn't say I have any regrets. Um, I think we all <laughs> can regret things that we might have posted or, you know, like you said, like, oh, this picture came up from 14 years ago. You know, I definitely want to get rid of that. That doesn't represent me now. But I also have to think that we grow as people and we should allow for growth. So I'm not a huge fan of cancel culture. I understand that, yes, if someone does something that is blatantly like they are just, you know, saying something that should not be said. Um, yeah, we need to address that. But trying to dig up things, you know, when you might have not understood what you were even talking about, like you were, I don't know, 15, 16, um, and then using it against people, I think that can be dangerous too, because that doesn't allow for us to grow for forgiveness, for apologies, you know, things like that. I noticed that it was usually a tweet or it's a Facebook post or it's something at like two o'clock in the morning and someone does it as a joke. Like if you knew the person, you'd probably be like, okay, that person's joking for sure, but it just doesn't come off right. Like I'm not about cancel culture either. I honestly think that if society is evolving, then most people aren't going to laugh like a comedian's joke, for instance, that might be offensive. Then that means that comedian has to evolve or is not going to have a job because nobody's laughing at his jokes. You know, it's um, so it's, but it's weird because also I don't want people to be offended and hurt, but also that's uh in America that's your right to you know say or do whatever. But it's just interesting because how far can you go back? I mean, if you have MySpace, I regret that because that that's that's permanent. That's not going away. I can't even. I don't even know how I would even be able to access to take things down from there. Right, right, and I agree with you. You know, might have been in your early teens when you made MySpace or something. And so to be held accountable for that, you know, years later, I think is, I think is very tricky and doesn't allow for people to grow, to understand their mistakes. I think people just want to punish, punish, punish. Um, whereas, you know, why don't we have a conversation about this? Why don't we become more educated on why we shouldn't have said that, or we shouldn't have posted this or, or things like that. I think that's more helpful, uh, but that's just my approach. This is just a, a different question, but it's just about maybe your personal perspective compared to like m what we think about my generation. I've noticed my generation doesn't really want their kids being on social media at all. Like my brother is a little bit older than me. He's close to 30, um, but he has three kids and he's like, no cell phones, none of that. We're not doing any of the Facebook apps, none of those types of things. We're not going to have one until they graduate high school. And I'm like, I'm sure my parents probably said that at some point, but I noticed that even with friends of mine who have kids that are like probably going up there a little bit like seven, eight years old. And they talk about, you know, my, I don't want my kid having Facebook or anything like that. You know, not for a while, just keep them away from the social media. I was like, it's because we were exposed to it. That's like, you know, I guess if we use it all the time, we're kids, we understand how bad it can be. But also 
like you mentioned memories, they can share perspective as well too. I mean, I've evolved since I was in elementary school and things of that sort. So it's interesting for me to see memories about, you know, something I don't ever post anything bad. I just usually post like 311 was an awesome concert. And then I'm like, all right, I still like 311. That hasn't changed. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess each, each parent makes their own decision. Um, I I've seen a whole range, you know, I see the people also who make accounts for their children. They'll give them a a handle and things like that and post pictures there, or they'll say, well, I want to save this handle so that they have it when they're older. I see, (laughs) I see people who are like, absolutely not. I'm not posting my child. They're not using social media or they can only use certain apps that are very controlled, you know, if they're younger or things like that. So I haven't really seen a trend, although I haven't looked at a lot of the research. This is more so just me kind of observing, you know, what's going on in my personal uh, social media sphere that that I'm connected with. So, And if there's an area that you could go back and like research into, what what would it be? Oh, there, there's, there's so much. Tell I, me you I go still, into TikTok, go into TikTok. I, I love TikTok. Yeah, I love TikTok. In fact, my colleague and I did a study on um, motivations for using TikTok. So we have to look at that. I don't have the answers for that yet, but um, we were dabbling into that. Um, I am a fan of TikTok. I will say I've learned a lot from TikTok in terms of tips and tricks and things like that. And I, I know it's also a controversial app. I know a lot of people won't use TikTok or, or they'll go to Instagram Reels, which is a lot of the same information. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to do more research on TikTok. Um, and and revisit um, the area of romantic jealousy. Um, so there's a lot of areas that I still have a great interest in in uh, exploring uh, mental health issues with social media. You know things like that. There's so much that I want to do. That romantic jealousy um, that comes from like having an app like that. I think that sound effect thing is crazy. That you can hear a Tinder like ex- match or anything like a swipe or anything with those little pings. And it's just synonymous, like, you know, that's a Tinder ping or that's a uh, whatever ping. And then immediately, like, you see the videos of people turning their head, like, excuse me. And it's just like, that's what's crazy is like, I don't, I haven't heard that sound enough, I guess, to be able to whatever synonymize that with that. But some people have, and they hear it and they immediately just get angry. And it's like, it's interesting to watch those videos. I don't know if you've ever came across one. Yeah, I've seen those on TikTok. Um, So yeah, there's just a lot of avenues for people to feel cognitive jealousy, where they start to worry, they start to wonder, they start to think, and it might be in their head, but it could also lead to emotional jealousy where they have anger, they have sadness, things like that. So social media just gives us more opportunity to possibly experience jealousy. It could be something as small as, you know, why are you connected with this person on social media? They look a attractive who are they are you talking are you right yeah 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 I noticed that when I'm when I post up something on like my Instagram or something I expect my friends to like it like if you're friends with me support you know that type of deal and then people just go you know congratulations but I can't like that and I'm like why I'm like because I can't my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my ex will just they'll see that and then they'll have a lot of problems and I'm like oh look I work in a fitness industry so if you're taking a picture of yourself or you're doing something like that, mostly it's because you put in a lot of hard work and it's summertime now. So yeah, put in a lot of hard work. Yeah, I do post up a picture. Like, I don't know. I'm flexing or something. I don't know. But uh, they'll they'll say that they like, I can't like that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? 
And they're like, you're not in a relationship. You wouldn't know. I'm like, you support your friends, right? Like I have friends who are fitness trainers. So they like every single one of their clients work or anything like that, the progress. Cause I'm from a, like I said, gym perspective, I watch someone grow or change or try and get as hard as they, I know how hard it takes. So I look at it from that perspective, but there they go, nah, it's just, it'll be a big cobweb of disaster. If I even liked or looked at the photo long enough, I'm like, that's crazy. I never want to be in something like that. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, I definitely hear it a lot and we see studies on it. And so a, a lot of what I look at is the classic research and then how does this apply to social media? So the classic research on romantic jealousy, there were four categories that were developed um, in 1997, I believe it was, that looked at um, how jealousy might be uh, coming about. And it's a partner showing interest in someone else someone else showing interest in your partner, prior relationships, and ambiguous scenes. So liking a photo on social media of someone else's could be seen as showing interest in someone else. It could be ambiguous. So it certainly ticks off those categories of potential romantic jealousy. You just gave me a new topic I'm going to have to hyper-focus into. That's crazy. I, I That sounds very interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, because that research can apply, like that's, you know, that's part of what I looked at uh, for my master's thesis. And so if we think about those categories, so much of that can easily happen, not only in person, but on social media. And it's a lot more visible on social media because the like stays there. You can view who they're connected with. You can see if they're still friends with their ex, you know, things like that. Nothing's more awkward than like when someone breaks up and then they follow you and they go, now I can follow you since I'm not, I'm like, what are we talking? I don't know. It's, it's all weird. <laughs> There's, a There's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. I know we kind of covered a wide range here, but I, I really do appreciate the time. Is there a place where people can find any of your links that you'd like to promote? If you have any social media handles, if you have any websites, the academia stuff that you would like to put in. Yeah, so some of the um, articles would come up in Google Scholar if you type in my name, Rhiannon Callis. Um, you can look at some of the articles that I might have published, um, some of the research. Um, so I'm happy to, you know, share that and talk a little bit more about that um, with people who might be interested. And I'll link all those links in the description, any articles that I can find, um, and how also how I found your work as well, too. I'll put that right in the description so people will be able to click and be able to look at your articles. And um, thank you for joining me on this conversation. And also, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.